dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Well, hey there. Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey there, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. So, uh, how's, how's it going for you? <laughs> it's going. You don't sound very enthusiastic. Well, had some major dental surgery last week, and uh, everything hurts. Everything hurts everywhere. I can imagine. I uh, took a couple of days off and rested up. Uh, By the way, hydrocodone goes very well over mashed potatoes. I'm just saying. The the Martian actually was a very, very realistic movie. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. Kids do not do drugs unless they're prescribed. no, seriously, uh, I'm, I'm better, I'm up, and I'm moving around. I'm still not eating very solid foods. Um, sticking to mashed potatoes, pudding, jello, and I got some noodles down the other day. So, yay team. Is your nurse still there, or did he go home? Nope, he's still here, but uh, <laughs> he is working on, uh, cre- well, he's working on his new uh, classroom, at his new school, and so uh, he's not here during the day, which is probably good, because if we were in the same house together at the same time, that much time together, we'd probably kill each other, but. (laughs) Um, No, my my other nurse maid, Nurse Maggie Mayhem, the miniature schnauzer, uh, she is by my side constantly. So, yeah. Does she she guard you when, when your nurse comes back? You know, she barks at him. (laughs) Um, and it's kind of funny because my other schnauzer Shiloh when she was alive she was the same way if I was sick she would actually lay on top of me and growl at anybody that came near me and uh, I they they're just very protective pack animals what can I say Fred's gotten to where he guards me when the boys come in the room he barks at them and raises all kinds of hell in the house because the boys have come in my bedroom slash office (laughs) hey she's working here can't you see he's your he's your office assistant yes he needs to do a better job to keep him out because i had enough of them yesterday and locked him outside (laughs) you know living in the country has its advantages did they learn to play (laughs) no because they lasted about 30 minutes and were pounding on my glass patio door wanting back in (laughs) You know, I just remember being outside all summer long and I, you know, you came inside for lunch, uh, you drank water from the hose, you explored. That was the best part of living on a dirt road was, you know, not a lot of traffic. So you were pretty safe out there. Either one of them had on clothes. So I don't know if the mosquitoes were getting to them or what the problem was, but they didn't want to be outside very long. So. So. 
we're talking swimsuits though right no <laughs> yeah maybe we don't need to you know <laughs> record the fact that you locked your children out of your house naked <laughs> That was by their choice. It was not my choice. (laughs) Yeah. So for anybody listening, we're joking here, okay? (laughs) Yeah. These are six-year-old, nine-year-old boys. So, Uh, you know what? Being a boy mom, good luck. I I watch you with those kids and how you love them and everything, but I also know boys take a special sort of, I don't know, (laughs) There must be like an extra gene in boy moms that helps y'all deal with that. Well, and I know I didn't have any brothers and there was only one cousin that was a boy on both sides. So it's not like I have much experience with little boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good luck there, honey. Good luck. Yeah. So, hey, how's the saga of Sean's 4-H pig? Well, she didn't make weight. She only weighed 204 two weeks ago at the fair. And they had to be 220 to even put them on the trucks to sell for floor price. So we brought her home and I've procrastinated enough and called a few places yesterday and everybody was booked up the longest, the farthest out was July of 2021. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Every single busher I talked to said, you know, I'm sorry, we'd love to have your, your animal, but we just don't have room. And I'm like, well, do you have a cancellation list? And she, a lot of them have said, you know, we do, but they just move you up the list. And so it'd be pointless for a 200 pound hog in July to get on that list if it's a year out. And so my husband and I talked about it a little more and he suggested a place in Woodward. And I called this morning and got a date in September of this year. So Hopefully it all works out and hopefully she gains enough weight between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, golly, you know, maybe there's a, a lesson here for us in the, in the future is, you know, just pre-book those, those spots just in case they don't make weight. I don't know. Can you even do that? I don't know. I mean, I've never, never had to do this. And last year he had one that we intended on keeping, but it just didn't work out to keep her as a guilt or as a breeding guilt. And we didn't have any trouble finding a spot. And that was the first place I called was Burkhart meets and in Kinsley. Mm-hmm. And she said they had a voice recording that said, you know, we're booked out until May of next year. And so I just went ahead and left the voicemail and they called me back and said they were booked full. And, and you don't want to keep this one as a breeding guilt. No, she's got some structure problems. She's hard having trouble traveling so she's not very sound right now and I'm afraid if she got any heavier she wouldn't be very good anyway so well and you don't want to pass that along so that just boggles my mind because for years you know small lockers like that were just having some real troubles even getting animals or you never had any problems getting into them ever you were right last year you could call up oh yeah sure bring them by you know tomorrow at noon kind of thing yeah. No worries. And that's the way the place at Woodward was. She's like, well, we got one on August 3rd. And I'm like, well, she probably only weighs about 225 right now, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, maybe we ought to push that. Do you have anything in September? And she didn't seem concerned about that. So maybe there's not as big a run on the, the processors in Oklahoma. I don't know. You know, we never had pigs. 
and I never butchered any of my own sheep, you know, um, never, never took them to the, the locker or anything. Um, always put them on the truck, but, uh, you know, we always had a pen of steers that we were feeding out or, or maybe there was a bull that came up lame or something along those lines or a cow that we called and would take and, and put in the locker. And our local locker guys were always so good about handling that. No, no big deal. And, um, I thought, honestly, I grew up thinking everybody had that. I, I honestly did think everybody had a freezer full of a side of beef or, or you know, whatever. <laughs> and um, I, I never really, you know, understood why you would buy meat from the grocery store. But, you know, when we had that big problem getting meat through or getting cattle through the larger plants because they were having problems on the retail or, you know, that retail and wholesale lines that we've talked about before, that's where this is coming from, right? Yeah. And people are wanting to deal directly with the farmer and rancher and get their, their product. And, and I believe it's a lot of those, those, uh, local guys wanting to sell a side or a quarter or a half or whatever of whatever species they have available. And every, uh, plant I talked to yesterday said, we just can't believe this. It's crazy how much demand we've had. We've never been booked like this before. And there was one that said that you just can't please everybody. And they must've had a few bad experiences because she was not very, (laughs) very happy about the whole situation. But I mean, I'm like, I completely understand where you're coming from and, you know, you have to take what you can get in this sort of situation. Well, and you know, some people are actually taking it into their own hands you know, they're, they're processing their own, you know, animals for their own consumption, kind of like they would if they were hunting deer. And I wonder, you know, as we go into fall and and deer hunting season, that's a lot of what those local lockers do is they take care of deer and and other wild game from hunters that, you know, just want the convenience. And I wonder if that's going to cause them a little bit of extra backup too. Yeah. And I wonder if those guys have already, you know, put their place in line for those deer that they hope to get. You would certainly hope they do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The guy at Nest City was so nice. And I called and and said what my situation was. And he's like, man, there's there's been a lot of them called that had 4-H animals that needed to go somewhere and we just can't, can't accommodate everybody. So, Well, speaking of 4-H animals, how did the auction go? Um, I think we were talking this time last week and we were, um, the, the premium auction was going to go online. How did that do for y'all? Well, his, both of his animals sold really good and I was a little disgruntled because they didn't use my nice pictures, but whatever, that is what it is. Hey, when you've got a mom who's a photographer, (laughs) use her good pictures, people. Well, and with the goat, I had the goat pictures just turned out so good and the goats look nice. Sean looked nice. And I sent them extra ones of the front and behind just in case they wanted side profile, whatever. Those are the ones they use the one with the goats, but with his tail in the air. So whatever, (laughs) (laughs) but he had the, he had the high selling goat and his pig brought a good amount of money. So. Good. So did they, did they have success with it overall and think they might use that again next year to, to help with the the auction and maybe an additional to the in-person auction experience? 
I don't know. I haven't heard about how it turned out. I mean, they had a glitch right in the middle of it and mom lost her mind because it was one animal before Sean's goat. And I was kind of upset thinking it was my internet. <laughs> and no, they killed the whole, the whole cattleusa.com website. It was down. So oh. for like 15 minutes during the middle of the sale. So <laughs> it all worked out. Well, for, you know, again, for you, you listeners out there that may not understand what we're talking about, maybe explain what a premium auction is for the, the county fair kids, because um, not only are you, are you buying the animal, but you're adding a little bit to the top of it, right? Well, in Ford County, you can sell two animals or two, two things. Like if you had the champion foods or, and the champion whatever, or a red ribbon steer and a, the champion foods, whatever two things you want to sell. And you have to designate that when you go to enter the show and they run you through there. It's like an auction. They started out at a certain price. And then when the gavel falls, you get that premium amount. So like, I don't remember what the champion steer brought like 1500 or something. And so the kid will get to keep the 1500 and then they'll get a floor price check, which means they'll get a price per pound of the animal. And then they also had, you know, somebody who had like, what, $25 or $20 or something they wanted to add on so they could designate, you know, your $20 goes to X4H or, you know, whatever. So the kids will get a premium check and then any add-ons and then a floor price check. And, and the reason why we do that is these projects are supposed to be learning for life. These are building life skills, but community members have always been very good about showing their support of their neighbor kids, of um, the people in the community that do business with them. Um, this is this is the community's way of kind of coming around and helping the next generation build their their 4-H projects. You know, Sean's yeah. going to invest that money into next year's project, right? Yeah, he's going to pay for his pigs and his goats hopefully next year and do it that way. It teaches him that, you know, you save your money and you spend it on your projects. You don't, because he's always, well, I can have, I have money in my checking account. I can buy bubble gum or candy or whatever crap that he wants to buy. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's for your 4-H stuff. And hopefully it'll get to a point where he can buy the feed because mom's having to buy the feed. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a, a little bit of a, a small entrepreneurial um, starter kit is what 4-H really is. I mean, I know in our family, dad and, and mom, um, they always actually, they never sold us our, our animals. They just said, you know, dad would bring in a, a pen of heifers and Joni would pick, James would pick, and then I would pick. And, uh, those would go into our herd. They were tagged differently. They were set aside. Those are ours. But, um, the first half out of them would go back to mom or dad, Yeah, you know, and that's how we quote unquote paid for those calves was, you know, first calf goes back to mom or dad. If it's a, if it's a male, if it's a female, whichever that goes back to them. But, you know, we built our herd slowly, but surely, uh, you know, registered animals. We were, we worked with dad to figure out which cows should be bred to which bull, um, and we had to give reasons why we wanted those animals in our herd, you know? So there was a, a lot of practical learning that went along with it. And 
you know, we split the cost of feed with dad, which basically was pasture or <laughs> silage. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there was a, a lot of learning and I, I still look at my checkbook today and my money management skills based on the lessons I learned in 4-H. Does that make yeah. any sense? Yeah. And I mean, we didn't, and we didn't, and we always had steers, so we just invested it back into our projects. You know, we paid the feed bill. We always had to pay uncle Mark for the steers because they came out of his herd and, we paid dad for the feed and the pigs we bought usually at a sale. So we, I mean, we were in charge of buying and selling and feeding and making these plans. And then my last year in 4-H, that money that we had left from our last fair helped us, you know, buy stuff to go to college and, you know, judging trips and whatever else we needed when we were headed off to college. I mean, there wasn't very much there, but there was enough to get started until the student student loans and student grants came in. <laughs> <laughs> they really are four-legged lemonade stands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And hopefully with our kids someday, you know, once our cows get paid for, we can, you know, pick a calf or two out and let the boys show those and not have to mess with buying show steers or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever well, they want to do. You know, go out and, and buy some, some registered stock and, and build up the herd and get some breeding lines in there. I mean, that's actually what dad and, and mom used our, our cattle for too, was, yeah. you know, if, if we wanted to buy a bull or something, you know, split the cost of the bull with the kids and, and there you go. So, yeah. Well, to all the 4-Hers out there, to all the 4-H families out there, I know that this is not the kind of fair season that y'all had in mind. But good luck and be flexible and, uh, you know, make the best better the best way you can. Okay, kids? <laughs> and I'm just thankful that we were able to have a fair this year. So and whatever semblance it was, I mean, it was good to be able to be around other people and show off these animals that we've been working on. You know, if uh, you folks out there, if you want to drop us a line, Go ahead and send us your pictures of your your kids with their 4-H projects. Uh, maybe we can share those over on uh, on the HPJ Talk website or on the on the Facebook page and and share those with our our friends over on Twitter and such. Um, it's always good to have some some recognition for the kids, right? Yeah, and I'll put that goat picture that they didn't use at the sale on there. <laughs> So how are you folks out there? Drop us a line at hbjtalk at hbj.com and let us know or call us at 1-800-452-7171. And oh, as always, please do us a favor and head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. So in this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the July 27th print edition. We'll have a report from the field from our All Aboard Wheat Harvest correspondent, Stephanie Crony of Osaki Ag, Osowski Ag Service. Stephanie, I love you, honey, but I am going to butcher your name from now until the end of time, darling. And Kayleen will bring us the latest on grain markets, and we'll have our final thoughts. Alta Seeds brings you this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth Sorghum line July 8th in the first ever Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day online iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the United States market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to catch up on the webinar recording at hpj.com slash sorghumfrontiers 
to learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Well, hey there, folks. Uh, I'm hoping that you're not in as much pain as I am with this dental surgery. <laughs> but if you are, go ahead and take a couple of extra strength Tylenol and uh, maybe get that ice pack ready to go. And head on over and ride with us on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is by editor Dave Bergmeier, Journey into Farm Frontier. Farmers and ranchers yearn for the latest information on soil health and what it can mean for their short and long-term goals to maintain and develop their nutrient base. Dave caught up with Lisa Fultz, an Oklahoma native and faculty member at Louisiana State University, along with her team, and how they're researching no-till and prescribed burning and how it might work together to build soil properties. Most of their research focuses on each technique separately, but Foltz and her team looked at how integrating the two might help producers. So basically what you're saying, what he's writing about is they are using prescribed fires to burn off the previous year's crop debris um, left by no-till. Is that right, Kayleen? And that's the way I'm understanding it. That's interesting because, you know, the, the whole point of, of having that residue in certain areas is to keep and capture moisture as it as it gets on the ground. So whether that's snowfall and keeping that snow there and so it doesn't blow away and, and it allows it to soak into the ground. But when you burn off that top organic matter, I wonder if that really helps with the, the soil health. Um, I think that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, these these are folks out of Louisiana, which have different soils, um, but there are always ways that we can apply things from other locations to our own location, right? Right. And, you know, it's neat to learn what they're doing in different areas and how they're incorporating all these different techniques into, you know, the different situations that each farmer might have. I think that'll be an interesting one to read. Uh, contributor David Murray had a story inside, COVID crisis highlights the need for rural broadband. Rural hospitals are struggling to survive in the face of the COVID-19 emergency, which has highlighted more urgently than ever the importance of access to high-quality broadband connectivity for rural communities, especially for what we are using it for, for telehealth. Uh, with more patients seeing doctors from home, High-quality connections are necessary to allow robust real-time video conferencing and to allow the transfer of data-dense medical files. David listened to the July 15th webinar on these issues hosted by Kevin Oliver, who is Lead Relationship Manager at CoBank, part of the Farm Credit System. And he, this uh, fourth in the From the FarmGate series of webinars um, brought speakers like Rick Bauer, CEO of Community Mem Memorial Hospital in a rural area of Minnesota, just west of Duluth, uh, Catherine Moyer, CEO of Pioneer Communications, um, and Pioneer provides connectivity services in western Kansas via coaxial cable, copper wire, fiber, and, and wireless. Um, 
Oliver said many rural communications providers have pledged not to disconnect users for non-payment during the coronavirus crisis. He's, he's kind of correct there. We really do need um, broadband, wider broadband access, just because the files that we are transferring have so much data in them. Um, they take a lot of, of, of broadband, I suppose. Right, Kayleen? Yeah, you got to have the, the infrastructure and the essentially the guts of the internet to be able to, to do these things. Mm-hmm. And I know, I mean, I have wireless internet here at my house that comes off of a tower in Dodge City, and we're probably 10 miles from town, and every once in a while it goes down, and it's frustrating to not be able to have that instant gratification you need of the internet sometimes. Exactly. Well, what do you hear on the opinions and editorials page? Dave has a column this week, uh, Vote Like You Mean It, and there's a letter to the editor that kind of goes along with the voting from Kansas Secretary of State Scott Schwab. His his letter's primary election quickly approaching. And another letter to the editor comes from Carl Ray Polk of the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. He's one of their directors, and his letter's titled Defending Rural Texas. Well, David Murray also has a story inside. Bear introduces new rangeland herbicide. Um, this is the third part of a four-part series that looks into the needs of growers in light of recent developments in the chemical industry. Uh, Bear's new range herbicide, Rejuvra, officially launched June 15th after receiving EPA approval. Ranchers and other livestock grazers hope the new tool can reduce harmful invasive annual range grasses while encouraging the growth of beneficial and more nutritious perennials and improving the landscape. There's also information about our Sorghum U and Wheat U event going virtual, as well as Cattle U and Trade Show moving online. There you'll find all the information you need about those, these upcoming events in those two stories. Jennifer Thurer has an alfalfa U feature, Poor Sampling Pinches Your Bottom Line. Uh, knowing the true value of a hay crop rests on the producer. Taking the time to properly draw hay samples is the most important step to knowing the quality and learning its true value. Um, High Plains Journal's Alfalfa U, sponsored by Alpharex Seeds and John Deere, uh, offered producers an opportunity to learn more about proper alfalfa sampling from Don Miller, Director of Product Development for Alpharex, and Nebraska Extension Educator Aaron Berger. Quote, at the end of the day, I hope to impress upon you the need for good sampling. As a producer, you need to know what is the value of that hay so that you can market it and get the true value from it, Miller said. Oh, and we also have a livestock feature from Lacey Newland, goats, the MVP of weed and brush management. Animal species all graze differently in a pasture, and one effective means of weed control is multi-species grazing, which is uh, grazing a combination of species, species such as cattle and horses, uh, cattle and sheep, uh, goats or deer in a pasture range. Uh, You've heard about this before, right, Kayleen? Uh, I think we've talked to Steve Hart, goat extension specialist over at Oklahoma's Langston University before, right? It seems like we have, but I mean, out here in our pasture, we have cattle out there. There's deer constantly going through our pastures. So, I mean, it happens and you don't even notice it. Yeah, Hart said, um, ultimately, multi-species grazing diversity is good for yield and yield stability, insect and disease resistance, drought tolerance, and soil health. Um, No one animal species consumes all of the forages. Really interesting. Yeah, that's a pretty neat neat way to put put that sort of 
grazing uh, program. There's also a quick story from the Hayes Post's Christina Janney about the Plainville Livestock Commission and they are seeking dismissal of two counts in that case uh, regarding the the money situation that Plainville had that's now bankrupt. I think we're going on year two of that, right, Kayleen? It's getting pretty close to being two years and <sighs> I, I don't know if they're, they're ever gonna come to a resolution on that situation. Those poor producers. Yeah. You can read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, if you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. High Plains Journal's Cattle U has moved to a virtual event during the week of September 7th to 11th. Don't miss your chance to hear from the top names in the cattle industry and learn how you can bring more value to your herd. Sessions will target all segments of the cattle business, from the cow-calf producer to the feedlot manager. For registration details, visit cattleu.net. time for an update from the field with our all aboard wheat harvest correspondence brought to you by the oklahoma baptist homes for children hunverforth manufacturing agripro seed agco gleaner and basf this is kayleen scott here with hpj talk and i have stephanie cronier with uh, osowski ag service she's one of our all aboard harvest correspondents and we haven't heard much from steph but you guys are busy getting ready and remind our listeners where you guys are at. We are located in Grafton, North Dakota, so pretty much right in the northeastern corner of the state. Okay, and it sounds like you guys, your crew's been busy getting combines ready to go, and harvest is quickly approaching, if the if the weather would cooperate. Yeah, yeah. No, there's, we had to, unfortunately, combine corn around here in... I would say end of February, beginning of March, as last year, the well, we had uh, up here in our area, sugar beets is the main crop, well, the main cash crop that guys do up here. Mm -hmm. um, last year, we got snow probably for a week, two weeks during beet harvest. So because of that, guys weren't able to get their corn out because the beets were much more important and more of a... Why well, it's just more of a liability leaving the beets in the ground versus the corn. So guys were combining corn in March, so now they're finding, oh, we have to switch the combines over still. And, oh, there's still, you know, there's stocks here and stocks there just because wintertime, you can't be outside. It's harder to check things over here. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like your uh, your day job is, is just as busy, too. Yeah, good busy, but yeah, I... Uh, you guys all know me. I'm a harvest junkie, so I, I'm, I'm super excited. Everybody's calling me like, oh, combining's coming. I'm like, I know. It's going to be great. It's probably the perfect job for you. I, I will, this time of year, they're going to appreciate my enthusiasm, I think. Yeah. It's always good to go into the into the part store or, or the dealerships and have someone that's happy to be there. 
<laughs> I'm, my office in in our store is kind of in the corner, conveniently located by the coffee machine. Oh, but any anytime somebody mentions combine, I can hear it from the parts desk, and I like pop out around the corner. I'm like, what? What do you need? <laughs> What's wrong with the combine? Can I help you? <laughs> Well, how is the wheat looking up there in, in North Dakota in your area? Well, the only, I would say the only really negative force that the wheat has had on it is when it comes to the spraying season this year, it was either really windy or it was raining mm-hmm. or it was just too wet from the rain. So really guys, it was hard for guys to catch a break. I know there was a lot of late nights, a lot of super early mornings trying to make sure that the acres got covered. So there might be a little more emergence when it comes to weeds in some fields because areas weren't able to get into the fields to spray. But overall, I think the wheat, the wheat crop looks pretty good. I mean, as a pickup farming going by, it looks good. Mm-hmm. So I would think, you know, 60, 70 bushels, I, will, I would hope for. Yeah. So how long will it, will it be before you guys get to cut anything, you think? Uh, a lot of guys are talking next week, at least take a sample cut, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of sample that, oh, well, look, we filled up a truck. Crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how long do you guys expect to, to be cutting up there? Uh, it depends. The guy that my husband farms for, they've got just over a thousand i think they're pushing 1500 acres mm-hmm. don't quote me on that sorry if i'm wrong <laughs> white leaders but that's i'm pretty sure that's what they got yeah but there that will be like a little over a week they've got two combines that they'll push through that and then i just like my brother my brother and my dad they've only got a quarter or so so that'll just be you know a solid day or two Mm-hmm. and but they both my brother also he's got his day job at John Deere so he's only able to burn the midnight oil when it comes to doing the farm and then my dad is my dad's around the so his 10 days off because he's still driving truck out west he's hauling methane for the oil fields mm-hmm. so when he's around he's also he's at the farm and he's he's very active like I said one foot in the field at all times yeah well, it was good to catch up with you, Steph. Is there anything going else going on that you'd like to share with the listeners today? No, nothing. Nothing too exciting. I can't. I can't say it's all that exciting up here. But we're all. I'm trying to bring the excitement to the table with the harvest stuff because I think some guys are, you know, just it's another season, and sometimes the transition from summer to summer to harvest can be tough. And I know help is hard to find, so it can be stressful. But I'm hoping hoping guys can see the fun in it too <laughs> yeah well if you guys want to catch up with Steph and her crew you can follow along on www.allaboardharvest.com and we will try to catch up with Steph again it's good to talk thank to you, you. yeah it's good to talk to you today you too thank you hey thanks for that update and remember if you want to catch up with our all aboard weed harvest crews visit their blog at allaboardharvest.com and look for their posts in the pages of High Plains Journal each week. All Aboard Wheat Harvest is brought to you by Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Unverfirth Manufacturing, AgriPro Seed, Agco Gleaner, and BASF, who remind you that we're all in this together. High Plains Journal is bringing Wheat Sorghum U to you virtually August 11th and 12th. 
Don't miss this one-day event with speakers from around the High Plains, bringing you the education and tools you need to boost your wheat and sorghum bottom lines. Registration is free. Don't delay. Save your seat today at hpj.com. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on July 21st. Corn was down at $3.33. Wheat was up at $4.13. Milo was down at $3.33. And soybeans were up at $8.07. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our cattle dairy issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes August 3rd with a story from Lacey Newland. And look for additional content online anytime at hpj.com. Thanks again to Alta Seeds for sponsoring this week's episode. Alta debuted its new iGrowth sorghum line July 8th in its first ever Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to check out the event recording at hpj.com sorghumfrontiers to learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day This country life is for me Ride with us, HPJ Ride